welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I'm joined by my friend Reese, aka Referees, in another victory pod, our first playoff win, Reese, against the crazy, the so talented, the so professional Pittsburgh Steelers. Just kidding. Except for except for TJ Watt and Mike Tomlin. Like, kudos to those guys for being great. But, yeah, what a game, Kansas City. Uh, We're going to get to it right now. But before we get to that game, Reese, let us know how one can follow us on social media and Patreon. Yeah, we're just jumping straight to the goods this time. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Fountain City SM, and you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash FCSM, where you can find outtakes, bonus episode, and exclusive beer reviews. <laughs> I I thought that you were um, going to do a special beer review, but you ruined it because you drank it all yesterday before the game. Reese, can you... Can you share with the fans your epic boulevard flight before and during the Chiefs game? Yeah, man. Uh, so we had what we never called, but I dreamt of the name this morning in the shower. We're calling it the Ryfecta. We had uh, <laughs> Ryan Rye X Maple, aged in Templeton Rye 10 year barrels. We Oof. had this year's variation of Rye on Rye, also aged in Templeton Rye Barrels. And we also had the legendary 2017 release Rye on Rye on Rye on Rye, which is Rye on Rye that they aged in Rye Barrels and then aged in Rye Barrels and aged in Rye Barrels again. So those beers are all thick, like with two C's, not like this is a thick mouthfeel, but I'm talking like I think the lowest one was 13.5. I think Rye on oh Rye goodness. Maple was like 14.5. And then Rye 4, is what we'll call it, was 15.5. So. Holy moly. Well, Reese had a good time with our ever-present fan, Alex, as well. And I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm sure it was a tasty time. It was delicious. It really was. It was fun drinking those beers over the span of like five hours. And uh, oh, we also capped it off with the delicious IPA from Perennial, which, man, I would... Uh, Almost consider reviewing that in the show if I get my hands on it again. So, well, you know what, Reese, I can top what you did yesterday with your Rye on Rye flight with something so much cooler than that. Um, I wasn't feeling too great, so I had a Guinness with cinnamon. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Back to the cinnamonus. Hold on, take, I- take that, you pastry stout crazy guy. Hang tight. I promised you. <laughs> That I would find you that Guinness that had all the weird, like, holiday stuff in it. Hang tight. Guinness holiday beer. I forgot about this. Oh, here we go. Oh, my gosh. This sounds terrible. This wasn't even (laughs) the one I was looking for when I stumbled on this. Okay, hold on. So, they did one in 2021 that was Guinness bourbon barrel aged chocolate mint stout. What? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So, so they don't barrel age the Guinness. They barrel age the chocolate mints they put in the Guinness. I have no idea. I have no idea. But that sounds a repug. So I am not big on that. Uh, I can't. Like I said, I can't even find the one I was looking up. Uh, I had it as a because trivia be, question once. Because they, they probably took it off the shelves and fired the marketing director, whoever marketed the product. Oh my gosh. It's just, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where like Guinness is so sacred. It's like, you almost can't mess with it. You know, it's like, 
Yeah. Having, I don't want to use another beer or champagne example or something, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. And like Guinness makes so much money just on Guinness and for it being that brand. Also, Guinness is technically the oldest brewery, I think, in the world. It's, really? I forget how many years old. Yeah, Guinness has been around for 400, 500 years. So, wow. I mean, technically, it's, yeah, it's legitimate. They don't have to do any spinoffs. We kind of like McDonald's, you know, McDonald's doesn't have to do the McRib. That's very true. That's very true. Okay. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I'm all down. But, uh, yeah, it sounds like, well, what did you actually do yesterday? No, no, I, 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 I legitimately, without the cinnamon, I just had one Guinness yesterday because I just wasn't feeling too hot and I had to teach today and I was like, I got to take it easy. Oh, well, I mean, that that doesn't sound too bad. Just doing like one Guinness. Yeah. Which, which means that I had to like be completely sober for at least the first half of the game, which was not fun. Oh gosh. (laughs) Or the first quarter of the game. We'll, We'll get to that. But that was a weird, like first 17 minutes of that game. It really was. But, uh, hey, can I throw some random fact of the day at you that I just have to get off my chest? Always, always. So, <laughs> I have been mashing up two songs in my head. And I'm like, yo, these songs are both good and they both really go well together. I'm like, hold on, are they the same song? I'm just like Mandela affecting this. But I looked it up and I have some stark and terrifying news for everybody here. And I hate to break it to you, but... Paul McCartney's Silly Love Songs is absolutely 100% a ripoff of the grassroots sooner or later love is gonna get you. You know what song I'm talking about? Those what? two songs? So the Paul McCartney ones, it's, it's got that like and the other one is sooner or later love is gonna get you sooner or later. You know that song? Uh, I have to listen to it. So it's like they're the exact same song, like the same kind of beat, the exact same key, about the same beats per minute, about the same topic. But Paul McCartney's came out five years later and he got away with it because he's like the most famous musician on the planet. Wow. Yep. Don't sue me for libel, but as a uh, John Lennon truther music wise, I have to get that off my chest that Paul McCartney ripped off the grassroots. Um, this is actually related, but not very related. This is one of my dad's favorite stories. Oh yeah. Um, the Beatles, na 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 na, mm-hmm. is actually could possibly be a ripoff of of their opening band, which is Cannibal and the Headhunters, who are famous for na 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 na. So they were the opener for Beatles for many years. Mm-hmm. And then, so that was their famous song. Oh, they opened for them once. Well, it's a better story if they were like their opener for a while. Sorry, Logan has entered the chat. <laughs> oh my gosh, we got Logan's because, studio. Because, because Logan's heard this story about a thousand times because it's the only story that, that my dad talks to Logan about because Logan took a class at UMKC about the, uh, the uh, Beatles. Because one really? of the teachers at UMKC was like a Beatles scholar. Who was it? Uh, what's his name? Dr. Thurmeyer. Dr. Thurmeyer. Oh, I don't think I He actually Dr. had Thurmeyer. a like textbook about the Beatles and the like theoretical analysis. He has two textbooks on the Beatles and, and theoretical analysis on it. Anyway, so my dad tells the story to Logan all the time. Just because my dad's like, yeah, this is cool. And kind of is. So maybe this can help your argument that the Beatles steal music from other people. 
Oh, dude, absolutely. So you, your guy can empirically prove then that John Lennon was the best songwriter in the Beatles, followed closely <laughs> by George Harrison. <laughs> Wait, Hey Jude is written by Paul McCartney, right? Yeah. Yeah, that furthers our case. You know what, Kansas City fans? Not only are we the best sports reporters in Kansas City, but we're also the best Paul McCartney investigators in the world. Oh, yeah. Paul is not dead, but his musical credibility is unfortunate. Hey, so. blam, 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 blam. If you, if you enjoy our research and want us to do more on the Beatles and specifically Paul McCartney and his original songs, please donate on Patreon. First, you're going to have to donate an Inspector Gadget cloak for myself and Reese. <laughs> uh, to replicate, it's probably going to be, I don't know, a thousand bucks each. So please donate $2,000 along with another $300 so we can take a plane from Kansas City to Chicago to Des Moines to then rent a car to go to Indianola and investigate <laughs> the butterfly beers. Investigate the butterfly beers and the mystery of why they paid me back my $35 parking ticket. <laughs> 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 and with that, Reese, this is a this is a good segue into Chief Steeler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we have to bring the your uh, your Showtime stonk back. Uh, oh, for those who, yeah, we definitely got to bring that back at some point. For those of you who don't know, Reese actually composed his own NBA on NBC spoof that is actually amazing. So, shout out to my boy Referee and Investigator Butterfly. You know what? If we get to if we get to over ten Patreon subscribers by April first, I will finish the complete three and a half minute composition <laughs> of Shot Clock Stonk and put it on the Patreon. We have how many page? We have four now, four or five. Uh, we we got four. We got four. Okay, Rocking hard. Cool. Yep. Yeah. So hey, I, I you know um, Uncle Drew, I see you out there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, all of Uncle Drew. So Uncle Drew is my brother. Uh, we call him Uncle Drew because his name is Drew and we don't like Kyrie Irving. Um, all of Uncle Drew's friends out there. I I know there's at least four of you that listen. Why don't you go ahead and give us a dollar a month subscription, huh? You know what? I'm going to up it one more uh, even past that. Oh my uh, goodness. If we get to 20 Patreon subscribers, I will do everything in my power to get round ball rock composer John Tesh on the podcast so we can interview him about the history of round ball rock, NBA, NBC, and then I will play him shot clock stonk and ask for his opinion of the piece. We can probably find him on on a cameo, right? I mean, he's got to I mean, be, what, 100 bucks for a shout, 20 bucks for a shout out? I think I'm on cameo technically, you know, it's like, who's not on cameo? That's, that's the easier. I'm talking, we get him on this show. Exclusive, exclusive. You heard it here first. Kansas city fans and our, our Patreon fans go ahead and give us a subscription on Patreon. You will not be disappointed. Just like chiefs fans were not disappointed at the end, only the end and the third quarter of our wild card matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Chiefs win 42 to 21 against the Steelers. Uh, don't mind me, Reese. I'm about to go into my pictures because I took pictures of stats that I wanted to talk about. So
Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. We actually experienced a technical difficulty. We had to stop and restart the podcast. But you'll be happy to know that for the last 10 minutes of the technical difficulty, we rocked out to different versions of John Tesh's round ball rock. And let me tell you what, I have never been more psyched in my life after listening to that track for 10 minutes. For yeah, for those of you that uh, weren't on the live stream because you don't have the live stream, uh, he uh, we we just played a recording from the '90s of him playing round ball rock with like a 20 piece orchestra and a synth at Red Rocks and then him proceeding to tell us that he invented the song. Well, he like needed to record it, but he didn't have his phone. So what he did was he took his the hotel phone and then voicemailed it to himself from the hotel phone. So it was like, hey, this is me with 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 that song I'm going to do for the Chicago Bulls. It's going to go like this. I mean, it's exactly how you would how, how we would want this song to be conceived. It was amazing. One hundred and ten percent. One hundred and ten percent. I mean. That song makes me feel the way the Kansas City Chiefs must have felt retiring large Benjamin last night, Armando. There you go. There you go. Great segue. Before we talk about um, Big Benjamin, Large Benjamin, follow our Instagram for some more dope memes. Uh, I want to read this tweet. Travis Kelsey has as many playoff touchdown passes as Derek Carr. (laughs) Oh, Travis. Travis Kelsey is, is now tied for... The 158th most touchdown passes in the playoffs, uh, tied with Derek Carr, Connor Cook, and 45 other quarterbacks. Oh, yikes. Well, I was going to say, it's Matt Staff- before tonight, was Matt Stafford one of those 45? Because he played, what, maybe one oh, playoff know. game with question. Detroit? Didn't- they got a wild card one year, didn't they? they? I think they did. They had one year when like they were really... Yeah, maybe one with Calvin Johnson. Yeah. And I wonder if he got a touchdown pass in that game or if Travis Kelsey was ahead of him for a while, even Jeeps. That would be interesting to to, uh, look up. Um, At the time that Nick Allegretti scored his touchdown, Nick Allegretti had scored more points than Big Big Ben at that time. Uh, Allegretti, touchdown, (laughs) Allegretti. Allegretti spiked the ball real far. (laughs) Also, unrelated to the podcast, but I just found this while I was looking through Twitter. Um, Najee Harris was once told at a, um, probably at UCLA whenever Jim Mora was coaching, but Najee Harris was once told by Jim Mora that he knew who killed Tupac. (laughs) This was during a recruiting visit. Oh my gosh. Like, like imagine trying to get Najee Harris and you're like, well, if you, if you come to UCLA, I'll tell you who killed Tupac. Yeah. <laughs> That's dark. Can you, can you do that on, uh, on NCAA 14? <laughs> Recruit somebody with just like <laughs> conspiracy theories. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I know where I know where the real Paul McCartney's buried. <laughs> anyway, Reese, uh, all to come back to this game. I'll I'll read a couple stats for you, and then we can go back and forth on this. I mean, so so amazing to see the Chiefs, and so so warming to see the Chiefs play so well. Every everybody, you know, from the offense to the defense playing well, which honestly we have not seen in I don't know how long, right? A lot of our our eight win streaks was either, you know, Patrick Mahomes going off or our defensive line going off, but for both to happen. 
I mean, and in the playoffs, this is exactly what you want to see. This is the definition of peaking at the right time. Um, So Patrick Mahomes threw five passing touchdowns in the span of 10 minutes and 30 seconds of game time. The fastest span in NFL post history. The second fastest, Reese, Tom Brady did it in 25 minutes. So 15 minutes more than... Patrick Mahomes is the second best. What was Bra- to throw five five TDs? What was Brady's game? Was that the Falcons Super Bowl? Uh, Twenty eleven. Really? It doesn't say who, but yeah, that was a that was pre Moss, right? Moss was that was post after twenty eleven. That been post Moss because pre oh because Randy Moss was that 07 near perfect team. Oh, that's right. Duh. Never mind. So, that was dumb of me. So this would have been, I th- you know now that you mention this. I vaguely remember this now because I think this would have been Eli Manning round two in 2011. And I something I remember like vaguely watching a pass game going like, ha ha, they're going to lose. And then it was one of those like Tom Brady like does it again sort of things. And I was like, wow, I, I hate everything. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just trying to do a quick search and I don't see it. Yeah. No, I think it was against. Wait, I think it was against the Bengals. I mean, um, the Dolphins. Uh, Hold on. No. Who would the Dolphins have been in the playoffs in 2011 with? Wouldn't have been Tannehill. Wait, was it? No, sorry, I just it. Sorry, it was a Bleacher Bleacher Report article that doesn't make any sense, dude. Bleacher Report, you need that. You need that real fake news from your friends at Fountain City Sports Media. I tell you what, Bleacher Report, the wannabe athletic that never came to fruition. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yep, can't find it anyway. Patrick Mahomes just killing the game. No one has ever scored that many touchdowns that fast in NFL history, and I doubt anyone will do it after Patrick Mahomes, although I know we're going to see some like Megatron quarterback in, in 20 years. But anyway, uh, Reese, with everyone just, except for the first quarter, everyone just perfect, right? Offense, defense, what is one thing that stood out to you? Um, I th- I think the fact that this really felt like vintage greatest show on turf, Kansas City Chiefs or whatever you want to call them, the Showtime Mahomes or all those other adjectives and descriptors that have been used to describe this offense. Because when I was again like driving to work this morning, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, last night's game felt a lot like the Texans game, except the fact that we weren't staring down the barrel of a high scoring offense and down 24 points. But just like the fact that, you know, it was kind of like, all right, stop playing with your food. And suddenly the offense is just like set to kill mode. That's what it felt like to me. <laughs> it, it was really great. I was honestly never really concerned about this game. I was more frustrated. Even when we went down 7 nothing on that uh, fumble 6 or whatever it was. I was just like, oh, like, this is so stupid. I'm like, guys, come on, get in gear. I thought we were going to win some sort of slop fest game at that point. You know, win some sort of like... 20 to 10 just ugly game yeah like nothing's working yeah yeah but no that was my big takeaway from the game what about you yeah because before the fumble touchdown it was punt punt interception which was an awful interception punt and then fumble touchdown so yeah if this was all before just the massacre but um that really put me in a bad mood i was i was like i'm not surprised that the chiefs are doing this because we've done this before and we love to be down in games it's almost like patrick mahomes is trying to be michael jordan too much reese yep you know what michael jordan used to do michael jordan used to like have people 
he, he would he would pay writers to say bad things about him so he can print it and put it in his locker room so that he can rally the team up or he would like find you know if they were going to play the utah jazz he would find the like utah jazz gazette you know <laughs> university of utah newspaper and find one thing that they said about michael and he's like we're gonna get him now it's almost like patrick mahomes has to have something wrong to happen in order to go all right boys let's turn it up yep. like he it just it never seems like in the in the highest pressures of games it's just not high pressure enough for patrick mahomes so i don't like that part of it but it's kind of cool i guess it's i guess it's a weird ode to mj um take away for me though reese i think i'm going to stay in your same vein so we could just talk about a bunch of stuff but um yeah, it's great to see Patrick Mahomes slinging the ball again. That's something that you and I talked about at the end of last week's podcast um, because the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, cornerbacks were decimated, right? They still had Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden's still amazing. But the only way that we were going to really expose that defense because that front four, as we saw, is pretty freaking good. Mm-hmm. The only way to expose that defense was to throw the long ball. And that's what we did. And we saw all the usual suspects and more, which we'll talk about again. What are some other takes, Reese? I'm going to piggyback off of what you said with throwing the long ball. And that's the fact that Patrick Mahomes' long ball is back all this year. You know, people have either been dropping his long ball or he hasn't had time to properly plant and throw his long ball or he's been a little inaccurate with his long ball but I mean last night he was throwing the long ball to everybody I mean just a fun stat for you I believe he had let's see it is four receivers with receptions over 23 yards excuse me five receivers with receptions over 23 yards yesterday so I mean that means he wasn't just you know like spamming Hill spamming Kelsey spamming push off Jamar Chase he was throwing to anybody that wanted to get open downfield absolutely one one more stat to add to that uh on sunday he completed four of his five attempts on vertical routes for 111 yards a a completion percentage of 31.3 percent over expected oh my gosh so i mean we're talking patrick home patrick mahomes we saw that o-line get decimated a few times but patrick mahomes is like eh, i don't care rolls out to the right rolls out to the left throws it on the opposite side to pringle to kelsey to hill it was really beautiful to watch and to see how calm he was the entire game even after punt punt interception uh scoop and score watt it was it was really a beautiful thing to see. So I'm I'm stoked, man. I'm stoked. Here's one for you, Reese. This is a hot take mondo special. Mm. Throwback to August. Oh yeah. Remember the name. Jared McKinnon. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone stop this podcast right now and scroll all the way down to August 2021. Yeah, go on Spotify. You're pressing pause. Now you're scrolling all the way down and you're going to click on, I believe it was the um, San Francisco 49er preseason, uh, preseason review that we did. Go to like minute, I don't remember. You know what? Just listen to the whole thing because it's fire. Listen to the whole thing because it's fire. But around minute seven, Hot Take Mondo says, remember the name Jared McKinnon. 
I said this in the preseason, ladies and gentlemen. This was comparable to when Nick Saban held on to Tua Tungavailoa until the national championship game, just plays him on a whim, and then absolutely dominates that national championship game. I think he had like four touchdowns in the second half to win, um, and no one even knew who Tua was at that point. That's what happened with Jared McKinnon. Hot take conspiracy. I think Andy Reid's been putting packages for Jared McKinnon the whole season. And he was like, hey, man, we know you're great. We're just going to keep you to the playoffs. And then that's when we're going to hit him hard because that's how much confidence I have in this team. And that's what happened, Reese. Let me read off his stats and then I'll I'll hand it off to you. But Jared freaking McKinnon, 12 carries for 61 yards, which might not sound impressive, but let's also put in there six receiving yards. Sorry, let me say that again. Six receiving catches for 81 yards with a touchdown with 23 long. Also, Reese, with that game, Jared McKinnon ties CEH in receptions for the entire season. (laughs) The floor is yours. Uh, You know what? I also believed in Jarek McKinnon at the beginning of the year. I never said it or like put it to words, I don't think. Probably because you already put it to words. And I think also because I'm like, I think this guy's got potential. But also, I see him as one of those guys we're never going to see for like no reason. Even though he... Kind of like Byron, kind of like Byron Pringle of like the running backs. So I'm like, I'm not going to be on my soapbox all day. I'm like, yes. I'm like, he is visibly better than the other options. But he's just not going to get playing time for whatever reason. I don't know why. But... You know, let's not shy away from the fact he had six receptions for 81 yards, and a lot of those came in the screen passes. And some of those looks he was getting in some of those packages Reed was rolling out were like vintage Jamal Charles-type plays. The way he was able to just kind of like find the hole and run with like confidence through it. Also, the way he wasn't going down on first contact. This is the one thing I don't get with CEH, is that when he gets hit, he goes down. This guy, he had some serious balance. He had some serious moves after contact. One other thing I want to touch down on, like you mentioned, he had that 12 carries for 61 yards, which again doesn't seem like it's too crazy. But when you break it down, that's just about a five-yard average. But the thing is, these were like five yards a carry, not like a cumulative, I ran for uh, one, I ran for one, I had a kind of a 10-yard one, and then I ran for one. I have a six-yard average. Like, no, this was like anytime he had the ball, you could chalk him up for five yards. It was fantastic to see what a running back with a home run threat for speed made our offense look like. Yeah, I mean, the big the big difference between CEH and Jerry McKinnon and actually also Darrell Williams is that Jerry McKinnon immediately when he gets the ball, he makes a decision to explodes in one direction where CH takes a long time finding his hole and then finds the burst. Darrell Williams kind of the same way, but Darrell Williams is very smart with finding the hole. Jared McKinnon just grabs the ball and runs, and he's explosive from 0.1 second of having the ball. And that's scary because it's unpredictable predictable for that defensive line. And if he finds one hole, it's over. It's over. So amazing to see. I'm a little worried about his size. Looks really small. Um, but again, when you have the explosives and you're elusive like that, I guess the size doesn't necessarily matter. Let's get right into a question, Reese. If CEH is active, 
next week, who is what is the percentage of snaps between Jared McKinnon, CEH, and Daryl Williams? Not what you want to see, but what you think Andy Reid's going to do. Um, so I want to start this off with a hot take. Yes, I mean, that's why we're here, baby. A vintage the playoffs hot take. Jarek McKinnon's game last night was the best game by a Kansas City Chiefs running back since the departure of uh, Kareem Hunt. I seriously believe that. <gasps> what? It, even more than CEH's first game? Even more than CEH's first game. That or or Damian or Damian Williams uh, Super Bowl. Damian Williams Super Bowl in hindsight was actually not that impressive. It was great. You know he he had a clutch game, hit some clutch plays. But what's the what's the stat? You take away that last like. 35 yard touchdown run he had that iced the game and he only had like 30 yards rushing up to that point or something again Uh. great clutch plays but in terms of having a running back looking like a weapon anytime he had the ball Jarek McKinnon is the guy and wow another reason why I think he's killing it so much Jarek McKinnon is a graduate of Georgia Southern at the time, an FCS school known for running the triple option. What does the triple option do? It is nothing but knowing your running assignments, working behind counters, and running with authority. Because that's your entire offense. This guy came out of the collegiate womb running before he could crawl. So, wow. with all of those things said, I don't see how Andy and the staff can say we can't keep running with that hot hand. I don't, you know, I know Clyde's a first round pick and if he comes back, if he's healthy, he's young, you want to give him some reps. Now is not the time. You got to keep rolling with the Eagle from Georgia Southern, Jarek McKinnon. Wow. First of all, if we were doing, um, oh shoot, what's, what's the game show we were talking about on ESPN? Stump the Schwab. No, the one with the the, the uh, clicker. Oh, around the horn. Or sorry, I don't know why I forgot around the horn. Keep it all in there. I'm not embarrassed. I forgot about around the horn. Reese, if we were on around the horn and you just brought up that stat about him, like in college doing that, I'd give you like 15 points, like automatically. That was great. I actually had no idea that all that was happening, and that is legitimate. That he was learning all the wildcat stuff. Amazing. That's my boy, referees with the around the horn facts. Only bring that's facts. right. <laughs> Only bring the facts. But yeah, no, I'm. Uh, you you bring up very good points, and I am hoping, I am crossing my fingers that that is the case. That Jared McKinnon is going to get seventy um, percent of the snaps, and then thirty percent is you know maybe Ceh or like. Uh, do we know the status of Daryl Williams by the way? Because after that fumble, something happened to him, or did they just take him out of the game? I think they just kind of took him out because I think that's kind of when uh, McKinnon was starting to go off. Plus, uh, Daryl was still dealing with kind of that not turf toe thing he had going on. So it's like, right. why right. hurt him? Yeah. Okay. So if they're all healthy, I'm I'm hoping that sixty. You know, fifteen, fifteen for Ceh and Daryl Williams, but Reese, I'm afraid that Andy Reid or maybe Brett Veach are going to get in their own head and say, "Well, if we give Jarrett sixty percent of the snaps, you know, is Ceh just going to say this is it for me here? Then, like, why am I even here? Is that going to start any, you know, um, is it going to start any drama in the locker room? Is it going to, you know, that's what I'm hoping that Andy Reid and Brett Veach don't think about, but that's possible." 
That's possible, especially with, you know, us still seeing Neiman out there, us still seeing Sorensen out there, you know, their boys. Mm -hmm. I think CEH is a part of the their boys category in that coaching staff. Yeah, no, I think you got something there. There's no doubt that they definitely want CEH to succeed. And I mean, I want to see him succeed, too. You know, for all the talk, I talk about what he can't do and he's not this and he's not that. You know, I I do think there is stuff he can do down the line. But now is not the time to see if he can get it figured out. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, you're right. And and that's what I'm hoping they see, too. Like, we see it as fans. I just hope there is no, like, you know, coaching goggles on for them to say, ah, but CEH is our boy. He's been our boy in practice for the last, you know, 18 weeks. He knows the plays. This is what we want to run against the Bills. He works for the Bills. I'm just hoping that's not it. But, again, we don't have to go too too much into that. We're crossing our fingers, Kansas City fans, for Jared McKinnon. Um, not only because he's great, because it makes Hot Take Mondo and referees look good <laughs> in national media. You know what? I actually I actually trolled a bunch of people on Twitter yesterday. Oh, gosh. You know the video I sent you of me finding um finding those that clip of me saying the jeremy kinnon stuff so for those of you that don't know i went on my fountain fantasy uh group chat and i sent them a video of me saying that stuff in august well lo and behold everyone's talking about jared mckinnon right we're talking espn reporters we're talking kansas city reporters so i posted that video on all their comments like literally i posted on about 10 comments and i was like hot take mondo called this in august follow fountain city sports media for more content did, did we get any followers from that that they bite uh i got i think like 20 impressions oh that's good so so you can get people that will like look at your comment and that counts as an impression i mean i'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> you know if there's one thing that hot take mondo is not it is shy that's for sure i just i just kind of go for it baby well, i mean it's like it's like calling a trick play you only look dumb if it doesn't work out but in this case it worked out and you checked the receipt it's not like that guy who sat in the car and predicted Mahomes would tear his ACL against the Ravens remember that oh gosh yeah that's eerie (laughs) well also to to humble myself I've made about a hundred takes this year and I think maybe two of them are right so all the all two of them I'm boasting baby Jared McKinnon to the moon to the moon uh, you know what else you know what else is to the moon reese and i don't know if it's like super to the moon but we just have to give them a shout out our chiefs front four i mean that front four looked spectacular and of course if buffalo bill or buffalo mike was on this podcast he'd say of course they look spectacular the steelers offensive line is one of the worst offensive lines in the nfl which is true but Najee harris regardless of his line has had one of the best rookie years by a by running back for um in nfl history like i I don't have his stats in front of me but he's been absolutely outstanding i believe he's a pro bowler this year too so i mean he's the real freaking deal and the chiefs held Najee harris to 29 yards last night 29 yards so hats off to them boys man they played extremely well not only that but we got a sack from Tershawn Wharton we got a sack from Mike Dana we got the forced fumble by Willie Gay and then of course we had Nick Bolton and Melvin Ingram still playing really well as well so I mean great game for the defensive line and a perfect peek into what we're going to see in the Bills no definitely I think it also played a point kind of what I was talking about last week in that you know if there was a guy a wide open downfield 
Ben Roethlisberger is going to make those throws. So the fact that he looked so bad throwing the deep ball yesterday, even to guys that had some separation, I think is a testament to the fact that our front four was able to get pressure on Ben. And he heard that Peter Pan uh, crocodile tick tock and tick tock and, and he had to throw those passes before he wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yes that helped that helped us out a lot um even though he did connect towards the end of the game which is kind of scary which well I'll, I'll talk about it in the second segment when we talk about the bills um it was it was great to see also we don't really like big ben on this podcast but i will tip my hat to him he's probably done uh thank you for the memories maybe not so great memories but uh yeah someone that's stuck in there too Two, two Super Bowl championships. Hats off to you, buddy. Um, I'm actually really excited to see what Mike Tomlin can do with, hopefully he gets like a good, you know, another good young quarterback and see what he can do with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the Steelers go from here because I think that quarterback class this year in the draft is pretty bare bones from what I've yeah, heard. not great. Yeah, it's kind of like a Geno Smith type year. But, you know, they they have some pieces. As much as we joke on them, you know, if we're going to look at their receiving core, You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson are three serviceable wide receivers. Great. Pat Fryermuth, a very good up-and-coming tight end. And last night, who was that guy? Uh, It's going to come to me. Oh, James James Washington. James Washington. He only had two receptions for 37 yards and a touchdown. But, like, the two receptions he had, I'm like, oh, I'm like, you don't make those receptions if you don't have talent. So <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, but I think it was before Deontay got here, James Washington was like wide receiver number three for Big Ben, mm-hmm. and he was actually very, like, very good. It's just like when you draft a guy like Deontay Johnson, it's like, sorry, James Washington, but we just drafted Deontay Johnson. Totally. So, yeah, no, they're, they're definitely so, probably the deepest wide receiving class in the, in the NFL. Uh, and then, of course, Najee Harris. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great. And look, freaking um, Hayward and TJ Watt really gave us gave us heck. I mean, they they, they really did. So uh, great to great to have a game where Patrick Mahomes can practice being mobile, can practice and be comfortable being mobile against a legitimate defensive line, because that's what we're going to see next week as well. Which stay tuned. We'll talk about more before we drink a beer, though. Reese, did I miss anything, or shall shall you review a tasty beer for us? You know, I think there's not a whole bunch to be said that hasn't already been said, other than the fact of just getting you two cents this week. There were two seven seeds in the NF or in the NFL playoffs this year for the first time ever. Both really didn't look like they belonged. Do you think that's a result of a seven seed being in the playoffs period? Or do you think it's more of a result of the fact that for the first time, a two seed played a seed as low as a seven or even a six seed in the first round? Uh, it could it could be both. But I think this is a testament to experienced teams and how much that actually matters in the NFL. Like, most likely a seventh seed is going to be an inexperienced team or it's going to be a team that's just decimated right like like big ben or you know someone like that but it really it really shows that we we don't need that seventh seed in there like the 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 difference between the middle tier of the nfl and the elite teams in the nfl that make the playoffs is huge is huge like we're talking 
the like probably the top four teams in each division mm-hmm. will not lose in a playoff game against seeds like a seven eight. They 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 just won't. This isn't the NCAA March Madness tournament, right? This isn't, um, or even in the NBA. It's very similar to that. An eight seed is never going to upset a one seed, except if you're like you know the Golden State Warriors with Baron Davis. Yeah. But most of the time, if you're an elite team. In a professional league, you're not going to lose. You're, you're not going to lose because you are that good. Like, these teams are great. So, yeah, it's good for the NFL because they get more money. But I don't know if it's necessary. What do you think, Reese? I think the answer might be looking to, I would say, either expand to eight. So you have two teams with a buy again in some way, shape, or form. Or, I mean, this is probably more difficult logistically, Maybe that seven seed needs to be a play-in game. You know, the NBA started doing that now. Oh. Uh, I, you know, because when you think about it, the Pittsburgh Steelers really weren't the seventh best team in the AFC. That spot should have been the Chargers, or it should have been the Chargers. Uh, so, if they had a chance, thank God they weren't. If one of them, <laughs> if one of those two teams had the chance to play the Steelers, particularly the, the pass-heavy Chargers. They would have blown the doors off the Steelers and made the playoffs. So, you know, what would the situation be in the NFC? Not quite the same. I don't think that the Taysom Hill-led Saints or the Atlanta Falcons were, like, that much better than the Eagles. You know, but maybe they were. But, no, I I think a play-in game might be worth looking into in the future. You get your extra game. You get your extra team. You get your extra fan base. The NFL is all about that pocket line and money. So, my two cents. Yeah, no, and and I think the Eagles game in particular and the Patriots game is a testament to inexperience, especially in the quarterback, right? It it, it all comes down to quarterback. You always got to bet on the quarterback, except for uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, uh, Dak Prescott, but that's Jeepers. a whole different can of worms. And they are Dak Prescott is the exception to the rule, but another podcast for another day. But like, look, like. Uh, even Bill Belichick couldn't couldn't stop the the uh, steamrolling of the Bills' offense and Mac Jones. It's just it's just too much for him. Jalen Hurts, it's too much for him. These guys are going to be. I, I think Jer- Jalen Hurts is going to be a really good quarterback. He's but he's not he's not there. Devonte Smith, he's not there. Jalen Rager shouldn't be playing in the NFL. But that's neither here nor there. Reese, let's go drink a beer and then maybe we'll spew some more hot takes in our drunken stupor about the Cowboys. I got a hot take right now. It's the fact that uh, Dak okay, Prescott and Jimmy Garoppolo played in what's called the we're acceptable for acceptable quarterback play. It's just good enough. Barf. And that's it. I, I- <laughs> It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of the show where we break down a big story going on This Week in Craft Beer, as well as review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. Now, this week's story, this entire year so far, has been about David Bowie and Chicha Changes, but we have probably the biggest change of 2021 so far. And Armando, perhaps you've already heard about this, but are you familiar with Canarchy? No. Canarchy is a brewery collective. Uh, it features seven breweries that all kind of like work together, you know, and uh, 
you know, share ideas and they kind of hang together. You know, I've been talking about this, how you see a lot of what used to be like the old guard craft breweries getting consolidated or getting bought up. You know, Kieran bought Bells. They bought New Belgium, all that stuff. You know, Duval USA, for an example, you know, they got Boulevard, Oma Gang, they got Firestone Walker. But Canarchy was a collective basically headlined by Oscar Blues and Cigar City. It also features some other breweries I'm not super familiar with, like Wasatch Brewery. Uh, man, I've never even heard of this one. Squatters Brewery, what? Perrin, and Deep. What is this? I can't even make that one out. Uh Deep Elam Brewing Company. Dude, where did Elam- you find this? Where did you find this article, dude? Well, no, this, this is important. I, so here's the thing: I've heard of Canarchy before. I'm not like super familiar with all the breweries, but like people that know Oscar Blues, know Cigar City, know like they're part of Canarchy is the big thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Canarchy was recently purchased by Monster Energy Drink. Oh no! Yes, dead what serious. Is, what, is, what are the implications, Reese? I can't even think. <laughs> well, it's. It's so weird because, like, what does Monster really want to do with a brewery? But I think an interesting... Use their resources, probably, for cans? Well, I I think you're kind of onto something because one of the uh, members of Canarchy is Wild Basin Hard Seltzer. And I think using the ideas behind a seltzer would make it possible to make an alcoholic version of Monster. Oh, Interesting. And then you have the brewing equipment, the knowledge, and the distribution of all these other places, like, again, in particular, Cigar City and Oscar Blues. And you can get that alcoholic energy drink concocted, cooked up, and distributed. So if we were to go back to your uh, Winnie the Pooh meme with uh, Big Ben, Large Ben, would this would Big Ben be for loco and then large ben would be similar to monster seltzer uh yeah probably actually that's probably absolutely what that (laughs) meme would wind up being so (laughs) but uh case in point i mean this is a big deal you know oscar blues and cigar city were both big breweries i think they were both in the top 15 10 15 breweries in the country and canarchy as a whole the collective made up the sixth largest craft brewery in the country wow so just looking at this in the last few years even in the last 24 months you know new belgium picked up by somebody else dogfish head not too long ago acquired by sam adams duval usa becoming a thing like i said that kind of kicked off this train i feel like sure and and bells you know so a lot of these big old guard craft breweries are now joining consolidations or finding larger parent companies that can really give them a step up in distribution windows resources and just get that beer out there yeah i mean it, it really is the perfect time to have a conglomerate craft beer place because like we talked about in the last podcast craft beer is accessible now um not only in finding craft beer but in enjoying craft beer it was more of a niche thing you know 10 years ago but now Mm -hmm. that it is accessible and you know people like um bells and other breweries are are still have their ipas but they're making beers that you know the everyday man can enjoy whether it's a sour or a blueberry weed or something like that so having a bigger company that has the resources for shipping especially someone like monster that ship into everywhere right and then you might Mm -hmm. be seeing these craft beer places uh maybe it's vice versa right we talked about monster 
making alcoholic drinks, but also Monster outsourcing their uh, resources to these craft breweries and making all their their beers now a national distro. Well, and you know, making this even more interesting is that Monster Energy, in and of itself, is actually owned twenty percent by Coca Cola. Really? So, like, how deep does the rabbit hole go on this? You <laughs> and know, Coca Cola is owned by Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett oh. is owned by me because I have some shares in Berkshire Hathaway. That's right. Wait, wait do you really? Yeah. So I, yeah, dude. Okay. So actually, we can. Yeah, we talk. Podcast is great. So for those of you that have like um, Robinhood or something, Robinhood is great because you don't actually have to buy a full share of something. So like oh. something like Berkshire Hathaway can be very very expensive. You yeah. can put as much money as you want. You can put 10 bucks in Berkshire Hathaway. I have a little more than that. But um, it's a good way to just, you know, if you want to learn about investing or you want to invest, um, you can never go wrong until, knock on wood, until Warren Buffett dies. Berkshire Hathaway stonks to the freaking moon. Dude, a stonk market minute with Armando. Dude, that's, that's a great that's great advice. I didn't know that about Robin because I was going to say, I'm like, dude, I'm like a share of Berkshire Hathaway is like, Ten grand, isn't it? (laughs) But there's also, uh, screw it, we can cut it out if you want. There's different tiers of Berkshire Hathaway. So there's Berkshire A and there's Berkshire B. Berkshire A is the crazy one that is like uh, $40,000, I think, for one stock. Uh, But Berkshire B is more in the like $300 range. And and the return is still the same. It's just um, he has so many companies that he invests in. He just kind of divvies the obviously... Berkshire A is the cream of the crop, but still Berkshire B, a ton of like a ton of returns in the past five years. I digress Berkshire. though. Basically, I own Monster and Canarchy. Wow. Dude, Armando just selling the stonks left, right, and center. <laughs> so that is the story this week in craft beer. The story of Monster Energy Drink acquiring Canarchy which is going to create a ripple effect in this ever-changing American craft beer landscape. And we will always uh, be on top of it for you so you don't have to search these things. We will we will tell you when these happen, when the monopolies happen. So Armando owns Berkshire Hathaway, and Reese is about to own this beer review. Reese, what will you be reviewing for us today? So this week in craft beer, speaking of the fantastic things that are part of Duval USA, I have told this many times, Firestone Walker is just crafting some outrageously really high stuff. quality yeah. beer. Great hazy. I don't have right to tell now. you how Yeah. I don't have to tell you how good Boulevard is, because I tell you every week how good Boulevard is. Uh, our sister brewery, Oma Gang, out in Cooperstown, New York, has been brewing a hazy IPA series that's been taking the market by storm, actually. This is a Neon a very, Lights. Neon Lights Whoa! from Oma Gang Brewing Company. Did Wait. you have that this summer when you were in a Cooperstown? Dude, Neon Lights is great. When I was out there, actually, I'm going back this summer. I'll, I'll be back in Cooperstown. Um, the Neon Lights series was wonderful. I had their stout as well. The Pilsner was pretty good. And for those of you that haven't been out to Oma Gang, they actually have one of the 
like most aesthetically pleasing patios I've ever seen. Like it's just, it's really beautiful. There's a bunch of grass areas. There's a baseball field right next to it. That's kind mm-hmm. of conjoined to the Omegang uh, brewery and the entrance is actually really spectacular. It's like you're going into this like really nice white barn. So big stocks for Omegang and for neon lights. Can't wait to hear this. So, uh, Armando, do you want to talk people through how we do our beer reviews on the show? Of course. For those of you playing at home or are new to the podcast, we review the beers in one, two, three, four, five different different categories with a sixth ever-changing category. And the five categories are aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. So, Reese, go ahead and crack that open if you haven't already. Pour that into a glass. And tell us what the aroma is on this beer. What do you smell? Oh, that's my a- ASMR dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crack the beer. It's all you What here. did you do yesterday that I said you did uh, some ASMR? Did you, like, open a can or something? Or you opened a bottle of the <laughs> of the rye? Oh, rye? yeah. <laughs> when I was working on the rye effect, then I had to use the plank of wood of the bottle opener yeah, on it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Big stonks. Big stonks. All, All right. right. Aroma. Very fruity on this. Very citrusy, particularly like a mandarin orange kind of citrus going on there right away. Also a little bit of hoppy, earthy dankness. Not a whole bunch, but a nice balance of the orange and the hop. I'm just going to come out here, swing. This is a nice, clean-smelling IPA. doesn't swing too hard in either direction. That's going to be an 8.0 on Aroma. Ooh, all right, an 8.0. Yeah, it sounds about the way I would have categorized it, too. Just a solid, solid beer. Appearance, Reese, how does that, how does that hazy IPA look on your end? Looks pretty nice from here. You know what's funny is that this is like the definition of what I would consider hazy. Like when you're outside driving through fog and you can't really see, but it's translucent and like you can see the Bigfoot outline of a figure just like walking, you know, half a block away from you. That's to me haze. There's no chunks in here. This isn't like full of lactose. You know, this is just quite literally a hazy IPA. Uh, The head on top started about half an inch. Uh, It's about down to a quarter inch now ahead. A very nice uniform head, uh, kind of, I'd say, more on the foamy side of things. Uh, overall, no, this is an attractive, good-looking, drinkable beer. I'm going to go and say 8.0 again. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love how that looks on my end. Just like you said, yeah, it's not, like, too cloudy. It's actually really nice, like, clear to cloudy. That's wonderful. Okay, our favorite category is flavor. How does that neon lights taste? Does it taste like all the neon lights in Las Vegas or Cooperstown when the Hall of Fame is there? And you got some pink, you got some yellow, you got some green. Ma'am, you know what's funny is this is actually much hoppier than I thought it was going to be just by smelling the nose of it. It's got a very... Uh, kind of earthy, bitter, piney quality to it, which I didn't necessarily see coming. I want to see what else I can get in there. Very drinkable, though. Very drinkable. And I don't want people thinking that have this and be like, oh, this tastes like an old school West Coast IPA. I hate those things. Like, no, this still has a nice amount of juiciness. Very smooth. (laughs) 
It's not like punching you in the face with flavor. I think Neon Lights is a very appropriate name for this. I'm going to give flavor on this IPA a 7.6. A 7.6. All right. Not bad. Not bad. Actually, I'm looking um, on my own research, and it's actually a Hazy Session IPA. I definitely get that. Yep. So session that, IPA. That, that would make a lot more sense that you're getting a lot of that, that dry hopness. I wonder what. Actually, sorry. Now I'm just nerding out right now. I'm looking at what the hops are. Um, Mosaic, Simcoe, Citra, Topaz, which I'm unfamiliar with, and Centennial. You know, I probably, honestly, if you told me there was five hops, I probably could have guessed four of those five hops. I yeah, would not have gotten Topaz, <laughs> but... Yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, you have your usual suspects with, like, the little kick of Citra and Mosaic to make it that haziness. That's pretty cool. All right. Yep. Mouthfeel, Reese. So, you're getting some dink and some green on the flavor. Are you getting that in the mouth as well? A little a little sharp or uh, smoothing out for you? Uh, I would say it's a very sparkling mouthfeel. You can pick up some of the bitterness, but most definitely you pick up that it's a session IPA. It's a very light, very crushable mouthfeel to it. It doesn't do too much, not too intrusive, doesn't hang along too or doesn't hang around too long. I'm gonna give it another 7.6 for mouthfeel. Nice. 7.6 solid. Then we have aftertaste, Reese. On the back end of that beer, are you getting some new flavors? Is it the similar flavor? What do you got? You get more of the fruity notes in the uh, the back taste of it, or the aftertaste. That's really interesting, because you know me. I've told you I like my fruit up front and my hops out back. But this is a reverse, so I'm going to take that back. You know, this is very nice. <laughs> it's uh, I, I definitely pick up some of that slight kind of like mandarin orange cocktail flavor going on in there but again it's a session ipa it doesn't try and do too much and it doesn't do too much so for aftertaste again uh 7.6 7.6 we got three of those all right 7.6 and last but not least reese we have the ever-changing category bdq or how awesome is this beer what is what is the stonk drinkability quotient of this beer or bdq also known as better do quirks when you're watching chiefs games like our boy did in san fran Dude, that is the best acronym I've heard on this so far. Shout out Stone Cold Chief Austin. Uh, no, so here's the thing. I'm sure people are saying, oh, you've only given this eights and a bunch of 7.6s. This can't be that good of a beer, right? You come out swinging with harder stuff than that. But here's the thing. This is what why BDQ is so important for a beer in that it talks about what a beer does well, what a beer does uniquely, and how does this beer make you feel. And all things considered, you have a very well-balanced, very crushable Session IPA in this beautiful Tallboy can, which also has some gorgeous can artwork. I mean, it's you can, you can check it out. I'm sure you've seen it. Like, everything yep. has this kind of, like, vest design in the Neon series. That's It's fantastic. The beer itself, the fact that it's a Session that is this much flavor coming in a Tallboy, but only at just over 4%, so it's not going to kill you, that's a great great quality in a beer so for that reason bdq on this beer is going to get a 9.1 Ooh, 
and to end the beer review with an awesome 9.1 amazing and i agree with all you say reese because i've had this beer as well an amazing beer a chill beer too right i can have a couple of those at the brewery during my day off and have a really good time um not too many things to do in cooperstown but uh oh gang is definitely the one thing that i look forward to every time that i'm there um and then obviously baseball hall of fame but awesome reese thanks for that beer review you're gonna want to stick around for the end of this podcast ladies and gentlemen because we are going to break down what may be the toughest matchup in the 2021 2022 season for the kansas city chiefs stay tuned are back from the beer review segment reese reviewing an amazing beer from oma gang um, during the break i just trolled buffalo mike um actually did he just respond hold on okay never mind that was my brother and i cannot share that text um anyway so buffalo mike wanted to be on this podcast today uh, but he wanted to do like a um you know a full-on debate bills versus chiefs reese and i versus buffalo mike unfortunately buffalo mike couldn't make it on the monday cast uh, which is when we are doing this cast right now um but buffalo mike could only do on tuesday so he couldn't come on so he's not on but what i just did bear with me ladies and gentlemen i just did a fake video of pretending like i was already doing the cast and telling you all that buffalo mike was too chicken to come on this pod because he couldn't defend his buffalo bills and josh allen uh, which is not true so then i took that video and i just sent it to all of our fountain fantasy people and everyone's going wild on the chat except for buffalo mike it was the ultimate troll move and yes i love being a troll especially when it comes to buffalo mike because he's a good friend um actually would have been great to have him on maybe we'll have him on later we'll we'll see stay tuned ladies and gentlemen but this is going to be for me the matchup of the season because if we beat the bills uh reese that means we're going to play the Bengals or the titans which is not as fun as playing the bills which is not as scary as playing the bills and honestly if we play a depleted bucks in the super bowl without a b without chris godwin uh these bills are better i think uh maybe only the packers might be comparable to the bills but right now it's this is the biggest matchup that we will face and i think we will face going forward even if we win um here's how i want to break it down reese why don't you give me let's let's talk pro bills first give me some strengths that you see that the bills have that they can kind of expose for us if if we take off our Kansas City Chief goggles, I'll say they got a dangerous passing attack. They're a very vertical team, as we saw when we played them earlier in the year. Josh Allen, you know, probably has one of, if not the strongest arm in the NFL. I mean, in terms of how he can throw. Hey, I got, I got a question for you. Speaking of which, and Josh Allen always makes me wonder this: Does Josh Allen does Josh Allen yeet the ball, or does Josh <laughs> Allen like? crush the ball that's what i'm trying to figure out here it like what how how do you define yeet is yeet like is it distance times velocity because he can do both so does is he just like yeeting the ball is that what it is 
I, I'm sorry. Are you trying to use yeet as a proper terminology or you're trying to use it as like a swag terminology? Like, I mean, like, it, does, does, does yeet actually stand for like an acronym in the NFL? Oh, no, no. Ye- eating the ball, you know, it's like the term where you just say like screw it and you just like launch something and it goes forever. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. I would say, yes, I would probably say yeet instead of crush because crush is more of a positive connotation. I don't know. Then, then what's the like the algorithm or the <laughs> equation for yeeting? Is, is it distance times velocity? If we had to make a scientific formula, this is the most nerdy like old man conversation about yeeting that I've ever had in my entire life. My case in point, Josh Allen is a thrower of the football and he's very dangerous doing it. Josh Allen is a big dude. Josh Allen runs like he is not a big dude. Josh Allen is a multifaceted, multidimensional, difficult to game plan for quarterback. And a lot of times when Josh Allen's on, the only way you beat Josh Allen is Josh Allen. And that's kind of what we've seen this year. You know, for as hot and cold as the Chiefs have been, I think a lot of people would say the Buffalo Bills have been equally hot and cold. Maybe not as high of highs, maybe not as low of lows, but they've been a little uneven, which is why they were a six-loss team this year. Sure. Armando, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if if you go back to their schedule, it's actually really interesting to see kind of how they fared. So the last half of the season, they really clicked, right? They beat uh, Carolina. They beat the Patriots, they beat the Falcons, and they beat the Jets. You would say only one out of the four of those opponents are actually worthy of their time, which would be the Patriots. But before then, if you look at it, they lose in overtime to Tampa Bay. They lost in that Tundra game against the Patriots. They lost against the Colts 41-15. to And then that Week 9 Enigma game against the Jaguars 9-6. to So they've had some up and down games. But if you really dissect what their schedule looks like, they're winning games that they should be winning, right? Of course, they mm-hmm. blow out the Patriots. I'm sure if Buffalo Mike was here, he'd say, who cares? Didn't you just watch the, you know, the wild card game against the, the Patriots? But if you look at his body of work in the past few games, he played he played some pretty easy teams. So although, yes, we want to give Josh Allen his due, um, you, you have to look at the schedule. Also, Reese, I wanted to point something out. Um, I'm kind of diverting from my from my like, OK, let's give the Bills the benefit of the doubt because I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm, I'm gonna say this and to segue in and of course we can talk more about like what their strengths are but if buffalo mike was on this podcast he would say remember when we kicked your guys's butts and i'll say i do remember buffalo mike i remember when you guys kicked our butts without chris jones without charvarius ward without juan thornhill without melvin ingram and when you had trey white now we have all those guys, and all those guys are playing extremely well, right? We're, we're not talking about these are just some random dudes off the block that are, you know, third on the depth chart. We're talking Pro Bowl players in Chris Jones, Melvin Ingram, Trivarius Ward. Juan Thornhill's not a Pro Bowl player, but he's pretty freaking good. And Dan Sorensen was playing in his stead, and I don't even want to go back to any of those Dan Sorensen games. Um, lo and behold, we didn't see too much Dan Sorensen in the, in the Steelers game, so... Um, 
that's a little bit promising. When it goes into the Bills game, we might not see a lot there. So that's my argument against anything that we saw in week five, Reese, is that we didn't see our defense um, in, in full fruition. And we didn't see this Patrick Mahomes offense that is slinging the ball, but can also adjust on the fly. So if the Bills bring their front four, then I think that the Chiefs can go quickly back into this Patrick Mahomes gets the ball out in two seconds to Jared McKinnon, McCole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and we play that short ball, quick pass game, and we can still be successful against the Bills. That's a really good point, and uh, I think, like you said, the front four is going to be huge because the way teams were beating the Chiefs, particularly in that really dark stretch in the middle of the season, was by playing that Tampa 2, that cover 2 shell. You know, you get to the quarterback at the front four, you drop everybody else in coverage. Didn't help that our receivers also had a case of the Butterfingers. But over the last three or four weeks in particular, when this offense has started showing up again, we've started finding ways to beat that cover 2 shell. Yep. And I think... A big player of the game, and I am not just being a prisoner of the moment, is going to be Jarek McKinnon. I think if McKinnon can show up like he did against the Steelers, I mean, that's a huge wrinkle the Bills were not planning for. Even at our best this year, let's say our, our best running game was with Daryl Williams and probably uh, probably Gore, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Those are two slow dudes. You're not worried about getting gashed or home run plays against those two guys. Those guys eat up yards and they're drive extenders. But Jarek McKinnon has the ability to gash you for a 25-yard play if you sell out and you don't get your gap assignment. So the question is, are they going to attack Holmes with blitzes and with pressure, or are they going to do the Tampa 2, the cover 2 shell, and dare us to beat them, dinking and dunking, and hand the ball off? Yeah, you know, that's, that's really hard to judge based on the Patriots game because obviously... Mac Jones is not Patrick Mahomes. So if you look at that game, Mac has two interceptions, three sacks, and a bunch of QB pressures there. So I don't know what the game plan's going to be. I think in the past they've had a spy. I know I keep making fun of Milano, but I think him or someone else has always been a spy for Patrick Mahomes. So if they can get front four pressure, I don't think they're going to bring the blitz and they're going to make Patrick Mahomes make plays down the field against their corners, although their corners are depleted. Like we said, no Trey White on, on Sunday. Um, it's going to be a really interesting game because this is another thing, Reese. How much stock are you putting into Bills 47, Patriots 17? Man, uh, you know, this one is really difficult. And I don't want to be disingenuous. You know, Bill Belichick's still obviously a good coach. But you know how he's talking about how the Steelers were probably closer to like the ninth best team and probably shouldn't have been in the playoffs? Yeah. I think there's definitively an argument to be made that the Colts who beat the Patriots pretty recently, as well as the Chargers, are both better than the Patriots. And the Patriots, in reality, were maybe more of the seventh seed, maybe even the eighth seed in the AFC. So I'm not saying us beating the Steelers is something different than them beating the Patriots, but... You know, that's a very good chance they beat an overrated, overseeded Patriots team run by a rookie quarterback who was never that good to begin with in a defense that hasn't scared anybody since 2016. Yeah, I mean, the the only people on that defense right now that are currently scary is Matt Judon, right? Matt Judon and I think 
J.C. Jackson, who was their cornerback, were the only pro bowlers this year, as opposed to other years where you have um, Deontay Hightower, you have Lawrence Guy, who are still on this team. They're just a lot older, right? Like, or, and Kyle, Kyle Van Noy, right? Those have always been the constant pro bowlers, but they haven't been that great. So for those people that have been saying, you know what, we beat, or like Buffalo Mike would say, we beat one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, if, if Deontay Hightower, if Kyle Van Noy, if Lawrence Guy, if Devin McCourty were still at an all pro level. Like, again, the only pro bowlers on that team currently would be Matt Judon and would be J.C. Jackson. Um, And if one guy, if they just if they just double cover Matt Judon, then, yeah, Josh Allen got no pressure. He looked great when he did get pressure. He just collapsed. Right. He just collapsed and ran for, you know, a thousand yards. We're better than that, Reese. We just proved that we're better than that. Not only did the Steelers, but against really formidable offenses, right? We've shown that we are more than a Matt Judon team. We got Chris Jones on one side, and if you double cover him, fine. We have Jaron Reed. We have Deshaun Warren. We have Mike Dana, who can be right there and give pressure. Oh, yeah, we also have Frank Clark on the other side, and, of course, Melvin Ingram. So... I put stock into this game. I understand Josh Allen is good. I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm just saying that 47 against this Patriots team is juiced stats. Yeah, and and something else I want to point out too. I know I mentioned this a lot in the group chat, but the Patriots did play a third-place schedule this year, and this was a third-place schedule masquerading as a fourth-place schedule. I mean, they had two games against the Jets. They lost two games against the Dolphins. They got to play the Jaguars. They got to play the Falcons, the Panthers. Their best win this year is probably a three-point win over the Chargers midseason. But other than that, they don't have a win that's good. I mean, they beat the Bills, but that wasn't that typhoon windstorm that becomes a pick'em game, you know? Right. Uh, they did beat the Titans at one point, but I would say that was the absolute bottom-out low point and for a, the Titans. And a ton of people, right, a ton of people at one point beat the Titans, except for us. Yeah, because <laughs> I think that was the game when, like, the Titans didn't have, like, Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry. I mean, it, it wasn't yeah, yeah. the Titans. And In fact, it was, it was after they beat us that they just got decimated. <laughs> and, and again, this isn't to take away the fact they still dropped a 47 burger on the Patriots but I'm saying I wouldn't read too much into that any more than I would read into the Chiefs really like rolling the Steelers yeah uh, I do want to say though I, I feel like I've been like ripping on the Bills and that's not the case I think one big key to the game of the Bills that I think is probably the X factor in the game actually more than anybody else is going to be Dawson Knox the rookie tight end they have because yeah. as I said earlier in this year, he's one of the fastest freaking tight ends I've ever seen in my life. His size creates a mismatch issue, especially if Spags is going to put guys like Dan Sorensen and maybe even Tyron Matthew on him. You know, Matthew's a lot shorter than Dawson Knox is going to be. So I think if Dawson Knox is kept to under, if he's kept to under 40 yards, 45 yards receiving, I think we win this game. Wow. I like I like the odds of daring Stefan Diggs to do this all by himself. I'm not afraid of that Bills rushing attack, but if Stefan Diggs eats and Dawson Knox, if both of them eat, I think it's going to be a shootout. And I don't want to get into a shootout. Our no. offense has been kind of hot and cold this year. So that's my take. 
I, I, I agree with you. Da- Dawson Knox last game, five receptions, 89 yards with two touchdowns. And most of that came in the beginning of the game and when they just looked decimated. So I'm not going to put too much stock, but he's a very good tight end. And you're right. Size mis- mismatch. We don't have anyone on defense other than Nick Bolton or Willie Gay that can man coverage him in size, but they can't play man on him. So, so mm. I, so yeah, that is going to be a problem. I'm going to take another angle, very similar to you though. The game is going to come down to two things, and it's the thing that I've been harping on for the past three weeks. Is Spags going to let Tyron Matthew or Juan Thornhill help Charverius Ward and Rashad Fenton? We did see that a little bit yesterday, so that's encouraging that we did see um, Tyron Matthew help out on sometimes against Chase Claypool and then help on Deontay Johnson. Now, towards the end of the game, we saw less of that, and I, I, I'm hoping that that is because we knew we were going to win the game. Because we saw Big Ben said, screw it, we're losing one-on-one. Deontay Johnson, let's see what can happen. Or James Washington, what, what we saw. So we didn't see a lot of help during that time. And that kind of concerns me because this is what the game's going to come down to to me. Is if Stefan Diggs, this new guy, uh, McKenzie, right, who's playing this like Debo Samuel role for him, even Emmanuel Sanders, right? Guys like that. Are we going to stick them on an island and not help Rashad Fenton or Traverius Ward? That's what the game's going to come down to for me. Um, conversely, it's also going to come down to, are we going to let Nick Bolton be a spy for Josh Allen? Because if Josh Allen gets his legs going, you know, 50 yards down the field, 60, he just had 66 against the Patriots. If we can stop that with just having Nick or maybe even Will, Willie Gay, um, being a spy, those are the two biggest things that are going to tell me if we're going to win that game or not. If we're not seeing a lot of that and we're seeing Josh Allen run in the first quarter or we're seeing that those one-on-ones happen, we're in trouble. If we see the opposite, I like our chances. I think defensively and spags like you said having a spy on josh allen is going to be big because that's one thing that killed us earlier in the year against mobile quarterbacks like josh allen and also lamar jackson is he refused to put a spy on him and i mean those drives are just so backbreaking when it's third and four you have the play well defended but then the quarterback's like i'm just i'm just gonna like break around the quarter get the edge and get five yards that that is seriously backbreaking i think i want to see one thing spags has done in the past that's really been effective against Josh Allen this last game nonwithstanding because like you said we didn't have our full gamut of defense in by any stretch I'm going to need to see him send blitz packages that aren't just sending multiple guys and just straight up no pun intended blitz in the quarterback if Spags can create some of these weird stunt packages and some of these odd look blitzes that are well disguised as other packages, I think that's when you're going to get Josh Allen. You're going to get him blindsided. You're going to get him confused. You're going to force him to throw some passes that he should hit, but you're not just going to be able to send five, six guys towards the line of scrimmage and expect to plow Josh Allen and not expect him to find a wide open Stefan Diggs or Dawson Knox in the soft spots of coverage. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a really good point. It's a really tricky balancing act, which is why I don't get paid a million dollars or plus to figure out those schemes. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping and Spags is capable of adjusting too, right? Can he blitz? Can he find also coverage on Knox? Can he find, you know, the balance between all three of them and stopping Josh Allen? Um, all really good points, Reese. Any other any other points you want to add to this Chiefs build before you do a prediction? No, nope, I think I'm ready to predict. 
Let's predict. You want to go first or me? Let's have you go first. All right. You, you seem to know what you want to say. Because I'm touting this to be the hardest game that we're going to play, it's going to be, it's going to come down to a field goal. It's going to come down to a, a Harrison Buck, Butker, you know, winner for me. I think and it unfortunately is going to be a gunslinger. I think Spags will end up adjusting and it'll be to our favor. But what we just saw against the Steelers, especially in the first quarter, I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Allen goes up 10-0 on us um, to start the first quarter or or, or going into the second quarter. But Pat loves that. Pat embraces that. He comes back. I don't think they have an answer for this offense. I'm I'm only concerned about our secondary and our linebackers. That's all I'm concerned about. I have no qualms. Um, No matter how good this Buffalo defense is, does not matter to me. 35 to 32. Wow, 35-32. You think we're going to drop a, a 35 bomb on them? Yeah, I think... Um, look, what we just saw from all like these circus plays, it makes me think that we did the circus plays on purpose because the real playbook that we're trying to show for... like, like I think there's going to be no putzing around against the Bills. I, maybe we do one circus play, but I think it's going to be an elaborate playbook with just some true football great routes plays. And I think it's going to be spectacular. You know, get ready for like the longest prediction analysis of my life. We're ready. So on one hand, this is why the Bills will win. The Bills will win because I think I said this earlier, the peak of the Chiefs this year is better than the peak of the Bills. However, the floor of the Chiefs this year has also been worse than the floor of anything the Bills have showed so far. So that's a huge, huge standard deviation for Kansas City Chiefs to cover, whereas the Bills have seemed more consistent and being in more of like a consistent zone throughout the year. So if that's the case and we don't get the best version of the Chiefs and we get one of the better versions of the Bills, there's a very good chance we lose this one in a similar fashion to earlier on in the year where the Bills put up, let's say, a score of 32 to 24 Buffalo Bills. Now, here's why the Chiefs will win. The Chiefs will win because it's been shown throughout the year that as vaunted as this Bills defense is statistically, I think we just call out the New England Patriots for being a bit of a paper tiger statistics-wise. Looking at the schedule, it's been shown this year that good offenses can still score on the Buffalo Bills. The Colts dropped 41 points on them. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 33. The Titans, 34. And the Chiefs, even beginning our downward descent in the season, still put 20 on them. I think we can put more than 20 on the Bills, and I think we can keep them from scoring more than 38 like they did last time. So if that's the instance, I see a flip score of the Chiefs winning this something close like 30, oh man, 31 to 30 Kansas City. Wow. How do you like that for hedging of one's bets? <laughs> that is that is quite Fandle-like. Uh, do you know what I just noticed, Reese? Um, I noticed that every team that the Buffalo Bills lost to, they had a very impressive running back. Mm. Um, so we had Steelers, Najee Harris, Titans, Derrick Henry was still playing. Okay, maybe not the Jaguars, but that was a weird game, 9-6. to six. Um, Colts, our boy, JTT, 
uh, Patriots have the decim- decimation of the Bills because of Damian Harris and um, uh, Stevenson. I forget how to pronounce his first name, so I won't say it. And then the Bucks. This was before uh, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones got injured. So I want to add just amendment X factor Jared McKinnon. Jared McKinnon. If Jared McKinnon can get hot, every team they've lost to this year had an incredible running game. So let's get Jared McKinnon in there and let's get this win, baby. Anything else? Um, no, I think that's about all she wrote. I think uh, I'm very excited for this game. I think this is the de facto AFC title game. I don't care what the uh, Tennessee Titans are seated or what this hot shot, swaggy, overrated Bengals team is doing. Uh, <laughs> these these are the two best teams in the AFC. Anyone says anything otherwise is completely crazy and yeah. they're straight up wrong. Yeah. Bills statistically the number one defense in the NFL. I don't know statistically if the Chiefs are the number one offense in the NFL, but it's safe no. to say we are the hottest right now. So hottest offense against the best defense. It can't get any better, Reese. I'm so pumped. I'll be saying my prayers all week because I'm a little nervous. But you know what? That's football. Let's beat the best. Goodbye, Buffalo Mike. Uh, Stay tuned because we will have a bet with Buffalo Mike to see um, who wins this game. I just need to... um, affirm it or i need to confirm it sorry with buffalo mike and then i can make it official but there will be a bet buffalo mike we see you we hear you we're ready chiefs kingdom let's go we'd like to thank you for joining us today on fountain city sports media this podcast is brought to you by listener support so consider becoming a friend of the podcast Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always... I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 